You are now live. Oh, Instagram said it. We're here, everybody. Logging on. Tune in. Get in here. We got an episode of Bobby For Real starting right now. You know how it goes. Every Sunday, we come, we hang out, we listen to some good talk, some conversations, podcast-esque. No one else is doing the Instagram live show. I know you guys are filtering in. Look at all those people coming in, man. We got an exciting show today. Our guest is one of the most unique guests we have so far. Someone I go way back with. One of the most versatile people. I'm talking does everything in, in the wheelhouse of entertainment, politics, you name it. He's done it all. He knows what he's doing. We're not going to waste a lot of time. I'm wearing the Christmas sweater knitted from my own bare hands. I'm just kidding. I probably couldn't knit. I, I probably couldn't even knit like a an oven mitt, to be honest. But it's warm. My brother got this to, for me in uh, Sweden when he went to Sweden. Uh, I think it's made of real sheepskin. He hunted it himself. Yeah. Um, that's not true. But it is from Sweden. It's very warm in Southern California. doesn't really get that cold. So I don't know how long this is coming on. Maybe if you stick around long enough, the sweater might come off. <laughs> Just kidding. Maybe. But you guys, <laughs> I see you guys laughing. What's what's going on, guys? Cody, what's happening? I see you. Declan, everybody's filtering in. We're going to add our guest very shortly. Let's see if we got him in here yet. I think he might be coming in soon. Um, I'll let him know, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, so um, I'm going to just search him up real quick. I hope you guys have having a wonderful week. Hope you guys are ready for the holidays. I know I am. I found him. Let's send the request. Devon Pouncey, a.k.a. Pounce. A.K.A. I'm going to wait for him to come in before I hit the last A.K.A. Because I'm excited to see him. <laughs> you guys, this is going to be really good. How's everybody doing? Hit me with some questions. Chat while we wait. I'm Devon Pouncey, a.k.a. Pounce. A.K.A. I'm going to wait for him to come in before I hit the last AKA, because I'm excited to see him. <laughs> you guys, this is going to be really good. How's everybody doing? Hit me with some questions. Chat while we wait. I want to answer some of you guys, see what's been going on. As you guys know, you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok. I'm almost at 10K followers, which is crazy. Like 10K followers? Dude. Uh, I think, I don't know if Devon has come in yet, yet, but we are waiting, bro. Let's see. If you guys have any questions just for me right now, hit me with some. I want to answer. I'm here for you guys. Type them in. Where did you play football? That is a great question because it leads into our guest today as well. I played football at uh, Pacific University, which is where I met Pounce, who I'm interviewing today. Pacific University up in Oregon. Uh, I could say I balled out a little bit. You know how I do the thing. Heisman winner. Nah, I'm just kidding. I'm not Heisman winner. But yeah, that's a good question. Charlie, what's going on? Guys, we got Charlie Oliver Bates, a.k.a. Gnarly Charlie. Uh, we were snowboarding. Uh, me and the mob this weekend, we were hanging out, <laughs> snowboarding up at Mountain High. It was so much fun. I'll tell you what, guys. Charlie, he can shred. He shred the gnar Next time you guys uh, see Charlie post something, just be like, they couldn't call, they shouldn't call you gnarly Charlie. They, 
They shouldn't call you gnarly, Charlie. They should call you shredding the narnar, char char. <laughs> oh, Charlie's cold. <laughs> Charlie, what's going on, my brother? How you doing? What's my favorite song? You already know. Easy. Call, call me, maybe. <laughs> okay, let's see if we got Pounce in here. Um, he should be showing up pretty soon. Um, um, if not, you guys, I might have to give him a quick call. Uh, I'm gonna send the request. Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll reboot so that it doesn't save. This is just a pre-show. Pre there he is. Hey, <laughs> what's happening, my brother? What's good, dude? I was telling him before. I, before I didn't want to say it until you came on. This is my biology 101 partner joining the chat right now <laughs> <laughs> and you do know that yeah that's right bro if you guys didn't know uh my freshman year of college pounce was a senior and we had the same biology course and i, I had the book and he didn't so we had teamed up and shared that book i think we both pulled off the a's which is great we, we <laughs> hey, hey we got it done by hook or crook right <laughs> that's what i'm talking about <laughs> how are you doing today man it's good to oh, see you oh man i can't complain man glad awesome. to be here with you i'm loving what you're doing with your platform man so thank you i'm just happy that you you know you allowed me to be a part dude i mean coming from you a big inspiration i remember we had a conversation i think about a year ago uh i was fresh out of college and I mean, you kind of set the standard for the people within our major and uh, people who went on to go do big things in the media. So it definitely is a big inspiration to have you on and uh, continue doing what I'm doing, seeing how you kind of conquered it uh, post-graduation. For sure, man. Nah, it's real cool just knowing, like, you know, we went to a small university at Pacific. And so to be able to do some of the things that I'm doing from a really, really small media program yeah. that we had there, it's real cool. And just to be able to always connect with other folks and see what they're doing. I, I try to stay tuned in as best I can. For sure. Um, but I'm also staying busy as well. But like I said, I, I love coming from, you know, kind of those small class sizes where everything was a lot more personable. It might not have been the biggest name university. And ha in fact, our university isn't really known for media, but, mm -mm. you know, those class sizes allowed us to really put in some major work together and, you know, a lot of people are going on and doing great things. So, yeah, it's good to see, bro, and it's good to be a part of it. For sure. And I remember a big thing you were telling me going off of that is it, it, it's awesome to be able to get that hands-on thing that Pacific had. But I think another thing that it does is when you got that one-on-one that -on -one attention, you got to go make the opportunities for yourself. Uh, and when you're in an environment like that, it's a little bit easier because it's more personable, like you said. Um, and I know that that's a good piece of advice I got from you and, and something you did as well, right? You just went out there and, and you, you told me just, just start making stuff. Like, yeah. go out there, like meet people, like just, just get it going. Has that been something that has allowed you to venture out into all the different things that you've been doing so far? Yeah, man. I mean, to me, that's always the hardest part is actually getting started. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's kind of human nature for a lot of us to be like our own worst critics. So in doing so is when we're so hard on ourselves and when we're so critical on ourselves and what it is that we do. So um, just jumping right in and kind of being, I guess, baptized by fire <laughs> is really something that, that helped me out along the way because if I didn't take that first step, I can't take the 20th step or the 30th yeah. step. So, yeah. um, 
you know, I'm not saying it works for everybody. Like, if you know what you want to do, sit down, map it out, plan it out, that's all good. But also, sometimes you just got to indulge. And sometimes yeah. you just got to throw yourself in there and, and, and have the mentality of, I'm playing the long game in this. Like, sure. I know I'm going to bump my head. I know I'm going to stumble. I know I'm going to fall. I'm going to have to pick myself back up. But as long as you're playing the long game, I think you'll continue to see opportunities open up because Definitely. other people that are in it for maybe some of the wrong reasons tend to fall by the wayside. So mm -hmm. those doors end up opening up for you rather than them. So that, that's what it's been for me, bro. Yeah, and, and you're definitely the – Man, you're the jack of all trades kind of guy. Like you dip your toe into everything. That's why I have so many questions for you, and I know we're gonna have a, a good conversation today. Um, yeah. Before we get into that too, because it's so interesting to see how versatile you in with you are with everything that you've done. Uh, when you first got into the school, I imagine it was similar to me choosing a smaller school because of sports. I know you played basketball. You, I remember seeing you just owning fools on the court yes sir <laughs> college, um, yes sir like so uh I, I'm, I'm sure i can uh, make the assumption that you went to school to play sports but did you have uh sort of an inkling to be within the media and do stuff like that or is that something you kind of became interested in within college or how did that all work out yeah absolutely not um mm -hmm. I, I was a transfer student so i played two years of ball at the yeah. community college level before transferring over to pacific and when I was at my community college back, back in the Bay Area where I'm from, um, I was like a kinesiology major, like exercise science, basically. And I was just doing it to get by. Like, I yeah. knew I wanted to play at the next level. Obviously, I knew I needed to get something started academically for my, for, to be able to transfer to the next level. But it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. It was just more so kind of what I had to do at the time to get by. Yeah, it's so, usually the default for athletes is that kinesiology. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I knew damn well I wasn't no exercise science dude. Like, that, that wasn't my thing. But, hey, we're going to get it done how we got to get it done. I see for somebody sure. ask what part of the Bay. Vallejo, California, baby. Vallejo, oh. California. That's actually but, that's my little sister right there. She goes to Berkeley, so. She oh, really? That's what's up. Tell, oh yeah, go. I was born in Berkeley. Really? I, I was born wow. in Berkeley, Alton Bates Hospital. Yeah, I was born. So, wow. uh, Telegraph, all of that. That's my stomping grounds, man. Wow. That's, yeah, that's 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 my area. So I, I love it. I love to hear that. But yeah, so when I got to Pacific, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of creating my academic plan for the you know the two and a half years that I spent there. Um, I had to like meet with an academic advisor or whatever. And I was just kind of upfront with it. Like, you know, I was a kinesiology major at my last school, but I didn't really care too much for it. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't really care to continue at that major while I'm here. So maybe I want to kind of get into something else. And she was like, oh, definitely. Like, don't come here and, and take a, a course or a major essentially that, you don't want to do in the long run, like take advantage of the, ex of the educational opportunities that are here. So she's like, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, well, I'm good at networking with people. I can communicate pretty well, you know, yeah, across the board. So I'm like, maybe something in the media. I don't know what in particular that would be, whether it would be writing or broadcasting or photography or, or production. Um, so I ended up just majoring in general media. 
at Pacific. So that's what I got my bachelor's in. I didn't like have a minor in anything. Yeah. And like I said, I didn't have emphasis in any particular area when it came to media. So, you know, once I did that, um, the ball got rolling and I was in it because I kind of had to be to get my degree. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Did you, before college, were you like, cause you, you're such a personable guy and so easy to talk to. I know that's probably developed as you've grown in your own yeah. profession, but were you always kind of the guy that was good at like talking to people and like, you know, uh, able to make those kind of connections and were you interested in like media uh, within different types of forms before you had thought about it like academically or professionally? Yeah, well, um, my grandfather actually is in the Bay Area Radio Hall of Fame. He was a gospel oh, dish wow. jockey. Yeah, he was a gospel DJ, and he's in the Bay Area Radio Hall of Fame. And so um, my family kind of knew just based on, you know, like I said, I can go and, and communicate and be eye to eye in the trenches, in the trap house, or, yeah. or the big house. Yeah. So, you know, I was definitely one of those people that was pretty popular in my area, and I just got along with everybody and I knew how to kind of play my position wherever I was. And for so sure. um, people always kind of respected me for that. And so it's definitely in my blood a bit, like I said, in regards to my grandfather and, and everything that he did. But at the same time, like, I just kind of, like I said, had to figure it out once I was in college, like, this might be it for me just because I am very much so a people person and, and I can communicate across the board on, on so many different levels and be relatable and not fake it. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm not one of those dudes that come from this particular area, but now that I'm in an area where there's a different demographic of people, mm, yeah. I still can't be myself and people be comfortable with that. So sure. I think that was just always a natural skill of mine. And fortunately, you know, up to this point in my life is translated throughout my career thus far. Yeah, and it, it's, it's like it's, it found you almost in the sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the game chose me, man. The game chose me. <laughs> and So were you – I know you DJ too. That was something I wanted to get into as well. Had you been DJing before you got into different types of, like, media as a professional? Have you been DJing your whole life? Was it something that your grandpa influenced you to do, or is it something you kind of learned to love? Yeah, um, I learned to love it. Again, Pacific played a huge role in everything that I do professionally today. Yeah. Like, that's Vibing really with Pounce. Got. I remember vibing with Pounce. Vibing with Pounce. Remember, I had the campus radio yeah. on Boxer Radio, and I was doing, like, a little hip-hop show there. That was my first time ever trying anything like that. Um, and then remember we had the pool hall right across the street, billions. Yeah. And I was and, and, and I had met a homie who went to Pacific with us, his name was Spencer, and he was from Forest Grove as well. And so um he went to Pacific and then he kind of just stopped going. Um and he was a musician and he kind of dove straight in with the music, but um Billiards was where he was initially DJing at. And once he stopped going to school, he was able to kind of expand and he started getting other venues. He was DJing that and stuff like that. And so he kind of passed the ball to me at Billiards and was like, yo, I still want to kind of keep this gig going, even though I obviously can't be in two places at once. Yeah. So, you know, I'm like, this is a cool side hustle for me to be able to get the students to come and, you know, get paid a few bucks to DJ, have some free drinks and stuff like that. So billiards was the first place that i ever started djing at right across the street from campus wow and then it just grew bro it just grew to and different venues and now you know i'm djing in portland obviously pre-covid but 
Um, I'm DJing at some of the best venues Portland has to offer, rooftops yeah. and all kind of stuff. So, man, yeah, it was crazy, man. And you're giving a, a taste of the Bay, I feel like, to Forest Grove. People, I'm sure, have never experienced that kind of music or, like, that kind of flavor at all. Man, they, 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 they never experienced the music. They never experienced the Hennessy. Uh, <laughs> like, I used to be the only one coming into the parties in Forest Grove with a full fit of Hennessy while everybody else is drinking like Hey, I'm not gonna lie, it was my first, I'm from SoCal, but that was still my first time ever having Hennessy was from you yourself. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> everybody else drinking vodka. Then I started listening to E-40, yeah, no, I was doing everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh yeah I'm, I'm bringing the brown to the situation. So, yes. Um, yeah, so, so I definitely, you know, showed um, a lot of people just kind of the culture that I came uh, from and uh, people was, was, was really accepting of it. And like I said, it just kind of continued to blossom from there. Yeah. Um, uh, how has you been able to meet certain types of, uh, hip hop artists? Cause I know like you're really into hip hop and I've seen you interview a lot of big names and I know that you, you're, uh, friends with some, some big rappers and different kinds of musical artists. Yeah. Have you established all those connections through DJing or have you known people prior from just growing up in the Bay and how yeah. that all worked out? Cause it's been so interesting to see you always have those sort of connections and it's been able to help mold like, uh, your own personality within certain avenues as well. Yeah, shout out my boy Roy Red. I see him in the comments there. That's my brother. <laughs> Another good guest you can get on this show someday, yeah. man. Yeah, I'll have yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. He, he's done that. TED Talks and all that. Like he, wow. he's an he's an interesting mind for sure. Great guy, but uh, but nah, man. I always had those connections. You know, just growing up in the Bay Area. Like I said, I was pretty popular growing up. So um, you know, I just happened to know a lot of people that ended up doing dope shit, you know, throughout their, throughout their lives and throughout their careers. So like music, hip hop culture, all that was like heavily ingrained, you know, in, in our environment where we grew up at. So um, some people, you know, the ball bounced in the right direction for them and they were able to make it. And so it's super cool. Cause like living in Portland, you know, when these people come to perform, like say they're on tour or something like that, like yeah. it probably would be a lot harder for me to get a ticket if I still lived in the Bay Area because everybody is asking for a ticket yeah. in the Bay. But when they come to Portland, because I'm I'm based here now, you know, they're damn near reaching out to me, throwing a ticket yeah. at me, you know what I mean? Giving me all this access and everything because now they're in a city that's not where they're from. And they want to be able to connect with folks, For sure. you know, throughout the country or the world. Some of them, you know, have gone on tour internationally and stuff. So um, it's actually pretty cool. Like, I get a lot of dope access to, to different shows yeah. just based on the relationships that I have and them just wanting to be able to connect with somebody that they know as they're traveling cross-country. And you're like a vessel for them within a certain region that probably wouldn't be as... Um, versed well versed in their type of music or style from you know that kind of like flavors that that they bring to the table as well yeah yeah i think like for portland in particular i think portland is a great show city um i think portland is on the pulse of just kind of figuring stuff out yeah. i just don't think portland has like especially in hip-hop in particular they haven't really like produced much mainstream mm -hmm. so so with that you know, the Bay Area is kind of the next closest region that yeah. does often produce, you know, mainstream entertainment. So Portland just kind of 
attaches itself to the Bay Area in so many ways because although Portland has the love and the passion for yeah. it, and there's some talent here too, just when it comes to that mainstream connection, the Bay Area is usually that market that they that they tend to gravitate gotcha, to. So yeah. so yeah, it actually just kind of works out like people I, like I hear Portland often being like the favorite stop for a lot of folks that go on tour and stuff like that because they're just kind of like fiending for it out here. You know what I'm saying? Sure, so, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they go hard. Like, it's, it's a great like with temp. sports, you know? They only have the Trailblazers and that. Right. You won't see any fans harder than the Trailblazer fans because besides yeah. them and the Ducks, that's about all they got. It's all they got. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? It's just like they go hard for yeah. about everything. Like, they go hard about it all. So, it's cool. That's awesome. Uh, dude, I'm a huge fan of the Wake Up and Win podcast. I know you've been doing that Appreciate for a while. It. Um, tell me a little bit about developing that and, and, and how you structure it week to week. And then, uh, and then I want to know like how you are able to get these certain guests. Is it people that you kind of just hit up that you meet in person or is it online? Like how do you find your guests? Cause you have such unique people. Yeah. Um, and then just kind of the, the process of the whole show in its entirety for people that don't know about it. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, my podcast, it, it focuses on the intersection of, you know, sports, politics and like pop culture or urban culture, however yeah. you want to slice it and dice it. And, um, you know, when I started it originally, you know, I had gotten an internship with John Canzano, who's like the top sports journalist here in the Portland market. And, you know, the internship went well. And towards the end of the internship, he's like, man, I'm impressed with the work that you kind of did over this summer, yada, yada, yada. And he was like, what do you want to do? Like, what, what's next for you? Like, what do you want to be next? And how can I assist you in that? And I'm an intern for his show. And I just straight up told him, like, I want to be in your spot. Like, I want to have a show just like you. Like, I'm, I'm dreaming big here. Like, this is the beginning stage for me to be able to try and attempt to get where you're at. And he was like, cool. And he started to just kind of give me game on how to – pitch a radio show to like radio execs so Damn. you know I, I made like this powerpoint presentation of like you know my target audience and potential guests that i know i could have on the show and just speaking to the demographics of the show the objective of the show all of that and then um and then from there initially i didn't get a show right away because i never really had one like i had the campus radio show but it's like you don't usually go from campus radio to a full-time radio host and a top yeah. 25 media market, you know, because sure. Portland is still top 25, so that's a major market. Yeah. And so at the time, believe it or not, um, I, when I did the demo to, to pitch to the exec, it's interesting. I did it with uh, Malika Andrews. If, if you're familiar with, like, ESPN and the NBA, yeah. she's on TV, like, all the time. And she was a student at the University of Portland at that time. And so Kanzano just kind of saw something in, in the both of us. And we did this demo. And then she ended up, like, landing a, a, a James Reston fellowship with, like, the New York Times. Wow. Um, and I ended up getting a job at the radio station, just entry level being a board operator. And so when she was kind of getting ready to head out to New York, I'm like, even on my show, you know, I got a job based on the demo that I presented, but how do I make it to where I'm gaining experience so that if the opportunity does present itself, I can have my own show. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I just decided to turn my radio pitch into a podcast. 
And when I did that, Malika ended up being my first guest. And we talked about her James Reston Fellowship and, and then landing that gig with the New York Times, which obviously is a big deal. And then from there, I, I just been trekking ever since. And, you know, since I've been in the media industry for a little while now, you know, you you, you build relationships as you go. For sure. And I've my that phone call came through i've oh, been able to just yeah. reach out <laughs> i've been able to just reach out to a lot of folks as i continue to podcast and you know they're willing to join me on my platform just because you know i, I built up good rapport with them over the years so yeah you're hard you're hard guy to say no to as well oh man i try to be <laughs> <laughs> you're fun to talk to and you're so interesting something yeah. that i think is really cool about the show as well as um uh you don't just stick to sports because i know no. like as a fellow athlete, people will really try to keep you in that bubble of like, oh, like, t just talk about sports. Like, but you, you really venture out to a lot of different things, comedy, uh, interesting things in life. And then politics is big for you as well. Yeah. Uh, was that kind of the, the, the main idea of it? Or did you feel you're, like you're, you were trapped in that bubble of sports at first or from the get go where you kind of like, no, this is going to be a more broad. It's going to be based around sports because that's something I can relate to and kind of communicate through experience, but I, I, uh, early on, were you like, I want to be able to cover a lot of broad topics, and I know you've been pretty passionate about politics. Um, is that something you've always been passionate about, or is it something that you've become more aware of since the show started to grow? Yeah, um, my intent was always to to be able to reach out as much as I can. Like I said, it's, it's an intersection of sports, politics, and culture, but that also allows you to do a lot. It's yeah. just a pretty way of saying it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that was always my intent. But at the same time, once I started the podcast shortly after I did get a radio show. So in that, it was definitely I'm, I'm on air three hours a day, five days a week. So while I'm doing that, I'm just sort of like kind of like trying to figure out what image I want now that yeah. I'm this full time radio host. But yeah. I also still got my podcast going on over here. So. I started to kind of be cognizant of all of that. Um, and then radio did what radio does, and I got laid off because it's a, <laughs> it's a tough industry to, to make it in. So it was like I, I reached the pinnacle, you know, at 24 years old, having a full-time radio show. And then six months later, I got escorted out of the building like I was a criminal. <laughs> and so, you know, I got to deal with both of those. But I always just wow. kind of kept my podcast around even though I didn't necessarily prioritize it once I got the show because that became like my full-time job and I'm going and covering these games and yeah. doing all of this and, you know, I had to just figure out kind of that work-life balance. Um, but the podcast always stayed with me and it was always something that was mine that I owned yeah. and that, you know, even after being laid off by the radio station, they couldn't take that from me. So, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely always my intent. And now... I'm just kind of in a space where it's like I'm kind of just letting it fly, you know, based yeah. on how I feel. Um, because for one, I don't have that radio show. And for two, like, I can sit here and, and be an analyst all I want on my podcast, but I already do that on TV at the Division One college basketball level. Yeah. So it's like, why would I want to do why would I want to do more of that on my podcast when you can get me as an analyst? you know, during college hoop season. 
Um, so with my podcast, I just tailored it a lot more to me and who I am as a person and who I am as an individual. And as I grow and as my story kind of blossoms, you know, it kind of creates this like episodic timeline within the podcast as well, where you can go back and see the growth from day one to day now. And uh, yeah, I just keep it more so tailored to me and who I am as a person. And I feel good about it. For sure. And man, that's a very interesting thing about the way that media is changing as a whole. It's, it's like uh, they get a lot of freedom now because you can have broadcasting shows and things to audiences that are completely in your control that you make. You don't need a radio station or a television station. Uh, although it doesn't seem like even though the, the, the shift is moving more toward like social media and podcasts, it doesn't feel as secure as like being hired by like a radio station or a news station or something like that. Uh, have you been, have you felt that kind of way as well? I did initially when I got fired. <laughs> <laughs> but do you see the, the other, a lot of pros and, and like you said, it's your own show. Like you can fully be yourself. And something and, I and, really like about and, you is when I see you, uh, be brought up on K2 or uh, uh, a national uh, news station or you're on yeah. a radio show, you are fully, like, you're yourself. Like, I I've known you off and on air. Like, you, you speak your mind. You say what you want to say. And I think that could be a big pro of, like, having the new media like this. And, uh, yeah, like. I, I was one of those people, man. Like, you always hear people say, you know, especially, like, within the radio industry, you hear people say, like, oh, in order for you to make it big, you got to get fired three, four, five times or whatever the case may be for you to actually reach your 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 moment of prominence or whatever it is. But it's like, for me, it didn't feel good being escorted out of that building, bro. Like, when I say they escorted me out of there like I was a criminal, bro, like, it was really they watching so over me. They're watching I, remember over going, I remember going on radio station and it was like, it, yeah, it was like a lot of clearance you had to go through to like get up the elevator. There's like those yeah. girl behind bulletproof glass. Yeah. Like, it was, I was like, is this a radio <laughs> show? Are we like walking into a bank right now? Yeah, it was, wow. it was serious, bro. So it's like, for me, it was like, that was a feeling that I never wanted to feel again. I'm willing to, if, if, if it just happens that way, like I'm not afraid to go through that again, but yeah. it's like, I think, you know, media obviously has evolved and like you don't have to go through that over and over and over again for you to kind of, you know, get to where you want to go. I think yeah. you just got to be more expansive and, and be more creative in your approach. And like I said, have a mentality of playing the long game rather than like, oh, I just want to do this because I want to be popular. or I just want to sure. do this because, you know, it, it, it looks good for other people yeah. to see. Um, I, I really love what I do, and I, I really commit a lot of my, my time to it. So, um, yeah, I would say now I feel a lot more secure knowing that that podcast has never left my side. You know, yeah. that radio station and that platform let me go at the snap of a finger. So, like I said, at the time I was stressed out. You know what I'm saying? I'm getting laid off from my job. I got to figure out what's next, but... <laughs> Now, you know, that it's been some years since that has happened. Yeah. I know that the security is in me being who I am and doing what I do and continue to push out awesome. content by whatever means necessary rather than maybe the platforms that may hire me yeah. as I continue to, to go throughout my career. Did you ever feel any pressure to not always be yourself? Like, did you did ever kind of like, 
make you kind of not say these certain kind of things because you're always unapologetically yourself even when yeah. you're on other people's shows or you're doing your own show but when you were hired or working for other people did you ever feel that kind of pressure to to not say certain things or do certain things that you wanted to say absolutely man like you know for one i'm i'm working in a in a industry that's like dominated by cis white males so in that i always kept that in the back of my mind um that i had to navigate the right way throughout this industry for me to be able to get maybe my dream opportunity so i definitely had my moments where you know i try i maybe was a little bit more uptight in my approach or may not have been as vocal as I probably wanted to be yeah. when certain things came up because I just wanted to make it to the next day. And, and I know I had to work twice as hard to be able to make it to the de next day than majority sure. of my colleagues. So um, I definitely went through that. But like I said, I was fortunate to, to have a dope internship where, you know, my mentors always made sure that they reminded me to be myself as I continue to, to go and grow within this industry. So um, fortunately, I have that point of reference to always remind myself to just be who I am and be who it is that I want to be. But For sure. definitely when you look around and there ain't nobody around that look like you, <laughs> you certainly hold back a little bit, you know, yeah. what and you, and you kind of just like observe more so than you kind of like assert yourself. Yeah. even in times when you know you may be right. And so um, I've definitely dealt with that. But like I said, fortunately, I've had interns. I mean, I've had mentors that have encouraged me to, to be who I am within this space. And, you know, the more experience I gain, the more I'm noticing, I, the more confident I become in just asserting myself as a personality, as a journalist, rather than trying to conform to what somebody else may want. Man, that's great. Like, and like hats off to you for doing that. And it's so apparent when I can see you just being, like you said, being yourself and you saying what you want to say on there, because I think one of the biggest struggles with just America as a whole and people when they're digesting media is you can't like, nobody feels like they can trust anybody. And like, uh, I know you have, you've been, you've been in like the political spectrum of the media a lot throughout the, the recent years with all the craziness um, yeah. Like, what, what do you tell people for? Because I think it is very valuable to have media and have people who are being objective and, and looking for facts. But how, how do people find reputable like and people that they can trust within the media? What well, I think, think I think my approach is just don't bite off more than you can chew. Hmm. Um, and, and what I mean by that is we all have interest um, socially. We all have like social interests, and so as I kind of like navigated through, I realized like for me, the two things that I was interested in that I felt like, you know, our, our country, the world deals with socially is like race issues and homelessness. Mm. So I kind of deep dove into those specific, you know, categories when it came to just, you know, issues that we face and that we deal with in society rather than trying to take it all on at once and dealing with, you know, racism, dealing with homelessness, with the dealing with, you know, gender norms and dealing with just, there's so many things out there, right? Yeah. So sometimes you can get, com get confused on where to start. So I encourage people to start with their interests and learn more about your interests, deep mm -hmm. dive into your interests 
And usually you'll find out how it intersects with other societal issues that are going on out there as you continue to, to do the work and as you continue to just learn more and educate yourself more on whatever it is that, like I said, interests you. So um, that's what kind of worked out for me is I realized once I kind of started to gain a lot more expertise and knowledge in one area, a lot of that stuff translated mm. to other areas and it allows me to be able to speak on other areas from that lens and from the statistics and just from the knowledge that I've gained over time. So, yeah, um, yeah it, it could be hard trying to, like, you know, eat everything at once, but you sure. know, just don't bite off more you can chew. That's I've never thought of that, though. It's a good way to kind of digest all the information that you can get, especially with, like just how much, especially with social media, how much information and fake information and and, right. and, and bias like comes at you at once to really break it down like that is, is that would definitely be beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I heard you say the homelessness, I know you're doing street roots. I, I'm yeah. a big fan of shoots. I'm the child, the, the, the boy, professor Boykoff, uh, my guy, uh, that's, yeah, <laughs> man, he's amazing, man. Like, yeah, that's a professor that man, unsung hero. I mean, he's got he's got some clout for sure, but yeah, absolutely, I want to see him on the Joe Rogan podcast, man. Like that's yeah. a dream of mine, or something like that. I've been telling him, I'm like, man, you need to start your own podcast. Dude, you know, he's, yes. he he's kind of like in that sense, like I think he's current in his approach, like mentally and you know, educating himself and dissecting whatever it is that he's working on. But as far as like you know, being an educator and having a doctorate and all of that, like. He'll make an appearance. Yeah, you know, I, I've had him on my podcast several yeah. times. Um, he's always willing to make an appearance, but he's might he maybe not always be willing to like try to like be his own personality and make things about him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? When it's like sometimes you, you need to do that because there are people that are interested in you based yeah. on the work that you've done. And so to be able to reach more folks, you know, that that's Never a bad way to go. But no like way. I said, I just think he's a little bit more kind of old school in his approach yeah. that, you know, he knows he's a powerhouse and, and he knows he's a, you know, he's, a vessel, full of, he's yeah. a vessel full of knowledge. He's a wordsmith, yeah. all of that. But, um, you know, his intentions are, are good. So, yeah, for sure. you know, I think that's the approach that he takes is to try to always have good intentions and try to really create change based on his intentions rather than, trying to be self-serving if that makes yeah. sense oh for sure and we need more people like that in the world for sure absolutely <laughs> and find balance that. so yeah tell me about street roots like i know a good about it but people that don't know uh it's it's really really interesting I, i've never heard of really anything else like it and uh, yeah yeah tell me more yeah basically um you know we're a nonprofit organization and uh we publish a weekly newspaper and, you know, we cover, again, a lot of social issues. We, we kind of have an emphasis on homelessness. And basically, the way that we sell our newspaper is by way of our vendors. And so our vendors are majority, you know, unhoused or impoverished. And they sell this newspaper to make an income throughout the city of Portland. And we're actually a part of, you know, a bigger network called the International Network of Street Papers. So there are street papers literally all over the world in like 40 different countries. Um, you know, they got, uh, here in America, you got them here in Portland. You got one in Seattle. You got one in the Bay Area. You got them in Nashville. You got one in Washington, D.C. Like, they're all over the place. Um, and so, yeah, you know, we our, our intention is to obviously, A, 
produce good journalism and produce compelling journalism. Um, and B, our mission is to put money in these folks' pop pockets. Yeah, they do have a paper in Berkeley. Matter of fact, uh, uh, my homegirl works at, at the one in Berkeley. So wow. make sure, make sure you make sure you support them for sure. Yeah, I remember. Shout out, yeah. shout out to Alice there. She works at that one. I remember the um, first time I saw a, a paper. It was I was in downtown Portland, and uh, yeah. there was the homeless guy, and he was like, "Hey, you want to buy one of these?" And I bought it, and I was like, "This is, this is what my professor was telling me about the street." Like, yeah. I've never seen it. And then like. What an amazing idea to like it, it encompasses so many different beneficial things that can absolutely good journalism to 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 be uh, put out to the public uh you know like giving away for people homeless people to be able to make some sort of income and have some kind of drive for something and uh, right way that they can get information and good journalism and be involved in the whole process is just like like man that's what the world that's what the world the country needs yeah it's real dope man and, and, and with that you know i've been able to do a lot more advocacy mm. um i'm the director of the vendor program so basically i oversee the program that you know the the, the sector of the organization that all these people are part of that sells the newspaper because there are vendors and so you know i've been able to have a real influence on like public policy out here um just based wow. on the work that that i've been able to do there and you know the access that i have to city hall and you know the mayor's office and the county commissioners and the city commissioners wow. i mean you name it like I, I i have access you know to all of these buildings and all of these people by way of my position at street roots so um like even one of the more recent ones i posted you know maybe it was last week when when Obama came out about the defund the, the police thing, and I'm not trying to get anybody in their fields here in the comments, but um, essentially, that was good, you know, we 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 worked on yeah for sure. I don't care, but it is yeah. what it is. But we um you know we have been working on something called Portland Street Response, where basically um, it was an alternative uh, first response approach uh, for people that were having mental health, mental health crises in the streets. So. Um, you know, we, we partnered with, with fire, the fire department supported it. And last year we had like a half a million dollars allotted to it from the city of Portland. And then you fast forward to this year and all the George Floyd stuff happens. Um, and you've got, you know, these, these folks out here protesting and demonstrating out on the streets and they're pushing this defund the police message. And the city took away $15 million dollars from from the police bureau's budget which was quite bloated and now you have 4.8 million dollars allotted to portland street response rather than the half a million dollars that was allotted last year so it was like because we had that infrastructure already set up and the work had already been done wow. once it came you know once the the moment presented itself unfortunately once the moment presented itself you know, where George Floyd passes away and you have sort of this defund the police movement, our infrastructure was already there to reallocate those funds from the police budget to an alternative, you know, approach and an alternative response so that police wow. don't have to do work in areas that they're not necessarily trained in. So that was like a real example of that. Um, I know it's not the sexiest terminology and it <laughs> makes some folks uncomfortable hearing that terminology, but like, if you want to see an example of how it actually works, that's a prime one, you know, right there. So, yeah, like I said, being able to help influence and shape public policy yeah. has been real dope.
because it's like people think that journalism can only make change through the stories or the messages, but it is it's just so much underlying things as well that can factor into to make yeah, a because, real change and doing things, you know? Yeah, because a lot of it is research, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And we were able to go out there and like create this response system and, and present it based on what people on the streets said they wanted. You know, we had our vendors going out and surveying folks on the streets and asking them what kind of alternative first response approach would they like? Because here in Portland in 2017, well, Monoma County, over 50% of the arrests made in the county were of homeless people. Mm -hmm. So that tells you right there, like, even if they're not intentionally being targeted, just the fact that they're always outward facing because they're on the streets, they're in the public, they're in the community, they're the ones often that has these encounters with the police. Um, Oftentimes they get triggered for whatever reason, whether it be because they don't like the police or they have these other mental health issues going on that the police aren't equipped to handle. And then it results in them being arrested. So it's just not good outcomes coming for anybody, hmm. you know, in, in that regard. So, um, yeah, man, just really being able to go out there and, and, learn from these people and survey these people that are living in these camps and living in tents and being able to, to kind of gather that information and that research to be able to report it in yeah. a unique way. Uh, it really was dope. And, and it's so interesting because even they like people, society, I mean, it, it sounds cliche, but like they for, could forget about those kind of people, like in some sense that would people think, but people also forget about the kind of perspectives that they have. Uh, even in terms of something like that with the police that a lot of people wouldn't understand that now that you're incorporating them within these kind of stories and within this kind of inf information outlets, uh, you can garner a perspective that actually connects the dots with a lot of these problems. Absolutely. And, and, and that's going back to what I was saying earlier. Like oftentimes we try to bite off more than we can chew, than we can chew and we get confused in doing that. You know what I'm saying? So it's like now rather than, trying to just have your arms and have your hands in all of these different outlets. Shout out my boy dropping in the building. Um, you know, just really kind of honing in on this particular thing, as I mentioned in the case of Portland Street Response, honing in on that nasty number that over half the arrests made were people that are unhoused and living on the streets. We were able to kind of figure out a way to attack that because we knew that was just, that wasn't cool. Like, like, they're, easy, they're the easiest to target because, like I said, again, they're outside. Amongst other issues they deal with as well. So, yeah. um, you know, we were able to attack that in particular. And then as you dig deeper into it, you start to see how disproportionately maybe Native Americans or Black people are in regards to those particular numbers as well. So you start to learn more as you dig deeper into it. But that 51% was the number that we really wanted to attack and, and that's what, you know, helped us being able to kind of move that thing forward and turn it in, into a program that the city has adopted. Man, that's fascinating. That, like, um, what was it like being in Portland during the election and during the whole, the, when George Floyd got killed? Like, cause Portland was making some of the most biggest headlines nationally. Oh yeah. Tell me about uh, being there, being in the heart of that, especially with the job you have just t taking on the, the, the nature of the beast that all that entailed and everything, kind of that from your firsthand experience. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, it was interesting. Like, I wasn't 
one of the journalists that was like on the ground every night. Like you mm -hmm. had some journalists that definitely were on the ground, but you know, I worked in downtown Portland. So like, I'm already out here <laughs> as, yeah. as all of this stuff is going on. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But it, but it's also, you got COVID, you got a lot going on. So at once, so, you know, I went to a few different demonstrations and, and it was definitely powerful. It was impactful um, just to see, a hundred consecutive days of protest happening. Like, I think that caught everybody off guard nationally because I think a lot of people expected, okay, you have this outrage after, you know, you have another video of a black man being like brutally murdered at the hands of the police. Okay, they'll go up in arms maybe for two, three weeks protest and then we'll go back to normal. Yeah. Portland kept it going for 100 consecutive days and some change but that's three months now three ways now we're talking a different yeah. game <laughs> so <laughs> so obviously you know you had the situation where you had the feds come to portland um yeah. you know you you had you were obviously in an election year as you mentioned so you know there's a lot of pressure on the local elected officials um you know that became a part of you know these campaign um plans for folks that maybe like wanted to you know be elected into office who weren't already um so it was just interesting just to be a part of all that and yeah. be connected to all of that and being able to you know speak with you know i host the street roots podcast so being able to speak with some of the the activists you know who have some of the bigger names out here being able to speak to both of our senators on the podcast from and, Senator Ron White and the Senator Jeff Merkley, um, you know, obviously being in contact with Commissioner Hardesty. Um, and then at the same time, I ended up, you know, getting this deal with this international news platform, TRT World News, based out of Istanbul, Turkey, and they broadcast in London and Washington, D.C. as well. So I'm having to really be on top of it because they could call me at the drop of a dime and yeah. I got to hop right on and make these international appearances. So it, it definitely was a busy time for me. Um, <laughs> it was, it's, I mean, I'm always busy, but it was for like, sure. things were heightened, you know what I'm yeah. saying? And so, um, you know, it, it was, it was a whirlwind of emotions. It was a whirlwind of feelings. It was a lot of work. It, it was exhausting if we're being honest. Um, I bet. but, but I'm grateful because, you know, I learned a lot throughout that process. I was going to say, it must process. have sharpened so much of, I mean, just for you personally, being yeah. able to experience that kind of things, but also within your profession to be able to to, to live within that and, and to really, like, delve deeper in because of what you were socially responsible to do just in your own career. Uh, it was probably amazing for you to be able to grow as as a person and, and with what you're doing overall to – to fulfill your yourself and yeah. you know, for humanity with with your work. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I mean, and and if we're being honest, I mean, we're talking about race issues, so it's like, again, I work in an industry where not a lot of people that look like me, mm -mm. especially credible ones. Yeah. Um, and and I'm living in a city that's very white, that's like getting all these major headlines. So me being a black journalist in this market, um, I was the beneficiary. <laughs> of a lot of, you know, these appearances and, you know, folks in radio and folks in, you know, local news all the way up to international news reaching out to me because, for one, I was covering this stuff. I've been covering this stuff. 
It's not something that I just started covering once the George Floyd situation happened. And so now people wanted to kind of start diversifying, you know, their, their organizations, their content and everything. So I did end up being a beneficiary of a lot of stuff because A, I put in the work first and foremost, and B, sure. you know, a lot of people were, were starting to re-examine themselves, like what can we do to help make society a better place? What opportunities can we give to help people, you know, utilize our platforms for the greater good of society. So, yeah, yeah it was it was a lot, bro. <laughs> it's like from from, uh, from bumping records at billiards to being yeah. a, pol a political uh, pundit on national news stations, man. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. That's why crazy. I mean, it's like it, I don't, it's if if you believe in a higher power, it's like God puts you in that position. I do for to, sure. To uh. You know, make those decisions early on to, to escalate to something you probably could have never imagined. You know, yeah, man, and, and it's crazy because like yeah. it's crazy because like I was even looking to kind of leave the market just because I've been in Portland for a little while and like for one, you know, COVID shut all of that down as far as like me really pursuing other markets and stuff like that um, because you know I do love the work that I do here um, and I have security in the work that I do here. But I also want to grow. Like, yeah, so I was yeah, yeah. just starting to, like, kind of explore and look into other markets and see what would kind of work out. And like I said, once things shut down, I knew I was going to be right here for a little while. But um, then, like, Portland became, like, the top headline city in America when it came to all this stuff. And again, me being a beneficiary of uh, a lot of this, a lot of appearances that I wasn't making before, I've made now throughout this entire time. So now, you know, my, my resume is looking beefy <laughs> Yo, just from sure. a lot of the opportunities that I've had since, what, June, May, or late May, early June, yeah. um, up to now. And, and a lot of unexpected has happened during that time. But, you know, I'm grateful for it all. And it's all a part of my journey, bro. For sure. And that's why, man, it's so, it's so good to kind of put yourself out there and, and go experience and go to new places and go immerse yourself into different places where you might not look like everybody else or or or, or, or ha come from the same kind of culture because you never know what could come come out of what, the journey that you're on like we were saying which is pretty amazing for sure yeah all right i want to get into um man that's so good the we can talk about the politics all day i'm so oh yeah that. so cool but i do want to get into some sports like the Jake Paul rant you have, man, I, I love that. Especially now, I'm working with, I'm working with big YouTubers, and um, when it was announced that Nate Robinson, I mean, I know Nate Robinson. I was, a, I'm a big NBA fan. When yeah. Was dunking over Dwight Howard, uh, and and before I had been working for YouTube, I I feel like I would have been like, oh, Nate Robinson's an athlete. He's just gonna take out this YouTuber. But I started working for these big YouTubers in uh, June. And we, we've done some collaborations with Jake Paul. And this guy, okay. met, like, I've met Jake Paul. I've gone to his house. Big dude, like, yeah. my size. And also, the amount of money and time he has to just dedicate himself to yeah. boxing. Like, people don't understand. He's not messing around. Like, he's got a full gym in his house. He's got Mayweather trainers. Like, when, when it got announced, like, Nate might be in trouble. Like, I get the, the athlete yeah. thing. But when you got enough money and enough time, like, things can, things can happen. So... And, and, and that's what I felt. I felt like Nate just was unprepared to fight, bro. Like, yeah. 
Like, he didn't put enough time in really learning how to fight and really sparring. Like, it was funny. Obviously, Snoop Dogg killed the night with <laughs> oh, his commentary. But, but it was hella funny because Nate charged him. And he charged him like he wanted to pick him up by his legs and slam him on his neck like he was in the hood somewhere yeah, exactly. in a street fight. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and when he charged him, the first thing Snoop Dogg said was, hey, 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 slow down, nephew. <laughs> like, like He knew he, he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing, but he's he, like, this is a sport. You got to This is a sport. Yeah. Like, oh, you knew. You knew. I knew right from that moment, right from that very moment. It wasn't going to end good for Nate Robinson, and obviously it didn't. Like, it ended really, really shitty for Nate. But, um, yeah, you know, I've been starting to do these rants a little bit on, on IG, just letting my personality fly, sharing my thoughts on some of these sure. things that are on all of our radars. Oh, for sure. What did you think about – I like the the Mike Tyson, uh, Roy Ju Jones Jr. fight. The, I, I, it, one thing I really enjoyed about it was the production, man. You had, like, Wiz Khalifa. You had YG, like – I've never yeah. seen, uh, like, you go back in the day, like, where you have these Super Bowl halftime shows with Maroon 5 or something. But right. I kind of like that style, like, integrating in, like, the, the, the hip-hop. And, like, it, it was like a show I had never seen before, which was really, really cool. Yeah, I thought he just humanized it. He made it real. I think that's a part of why Snoop Dogg was so successful. Yeah. Snoop Dogg's, I mean, obviously, Snoop Dogg has, has done some work. He's put in some work in, in the TV field, but it's like, Snoop Dogg was just himself out there. Mike Tyson created an event that, again, revolved around his interest and not around maybe an investor's interest yeah. or, you know, people, you know, or, or you know, commercial interest. Yeah. Um, you know, he really just kind of, I mean, Mike Tyson is one of the most influential athletes this, this country has ever seen, the world mm -hmm. has ever seen. So, you know, even with him, like, shit like smoking weed in the locker room right before the fight like you know he's hot boxing with mike tyson that's the <laughs> yeah. name of his podcast i love you know that podcast saying? yeah so it's like it was just real like it was a real authentic event i thought yeah. i thought they i thought it was a slam dunk and obviously triller i thought was innovative and their willingness to partner with mike tyson to make this thing happen in a real way and you'll start to see a little bit more of that you'll start to see more of these celebrity fights and these events that really are, are just genuine and authentic rather than, like I said, having to meet For commercial sure. interest in particular. And, yeah, and in boxing, I feel like it's always been pretty whitewashed. So it was kind of cool to see, like, Mike Tyson be able to – because everybody's going to watch Mike Tyson. And when he conceptualizes yeah. it, he's going to do it the way he wants to do it. And, you know, they, they, they didn't have any of those kind of, like, pressures that like it, it's kind of breaking a mold which is cool to see right why do you think uh why do you think people are so interested in these celebrity box now we got logan paul and floyd mayweather like what what do you think's like the do you think we're kind of moving in a direction toward that because yeah like, i mean Tyson and Roy Jones jr did very well i'm sure they'll they'll, they'll do it again and they, they were professional yeah. boxers i'm sure people were interested in jake paul as well um before i ask you about the um the retired athletes making a comeback i want to ask you about uh, celebrity boxing, why do you think it's uh, so uh, interesting to people? I mean, I just think these celebrities are interesting to people. So anything that they do, they're going to attract the audience. And yeah. in, in a situation where you can be on a Mike Tyson undercard, like, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> really? <laughs> like, like, that's an insane platform, yeah. you know, for Jake Paul to have been able to land at that. And then obviously, in his case, he capitalized. 
Um, and, and like I said, I think a lot of people just saw it work. So, you know, I think this was more so kind of a trial and it was a success. So now you got them, you know, somebody like a Floyd Mayweather who is willing to fight against Logan Paul going yeah. forward. Um, so, he yeah. He got the, think, the nickname money for a reason, you know. That's absolutely, absolutely. You know what I mean? You know, these folks want to be able to make money. They're retired now. So who knows what their income is like, you know, as retired boxers and retired fighters. And for these celebrities, like I said, <laughs> an opportunity to be on a Mike Tyson undercard, like that's absolutely insane. Crazy. An opportunity for Logan Paul to be able to fight a top five greatest boxer ever and, and Floyd Mayweather, that's like absolutely insane. So, insane. you know, the fact that, you know, the interest is garnered, you know, they're going out there and making happen it and, and getting a pretty good bang for their buck for it. For sure. And then, so I, I assume there will be, because it was a draw, I assume there'll be another Tyson Roy Jr. running it back because I know the numbers did really well. It's interesting to see a lot of retired athletes. I don't know, maybe it's because of social media kind of make a comeback, but it also hasn't worked in other uh, instances like the big three. I was a big fan of the big three, you know, seeing AI come back and uh, yeah. guys like that. But why do you think, why do you think that that didn't work out? But uh, sort of like the, the boxing kind of worked out uh, with well, the well, legends coming back, you know? I, I actually think the big three was working. Uh, I yeah, think it, was, pandemic, it was doing well, but they kind of like, oh, you think the pandemic? pandemic the pandemic kind of screwed it off and you know they didn't have the opportunity to create a pandemic proof model if that makes sense like yeah. like the Tyson stuff happened during the pandemic so we had kind of adjusted and adapted to you know getting through this pandemic and being able to create our content in a way that pushes through during the pandemic so mm -hmm. I think you know the big three just had an unfortunate reality of not having a pandemic proof model. And because of it, you know, things kind of fell apart at the seams. But, you know, once they started planning this Mike Tyson stuff, it's like we know, you know, regulations. We know what we can and can't do and how to maximize this as best we can during this time period. So that was just what I saw it as. For just, sure. Just like I mean, everything else. I hope else it continues. It's great. Yeah, what's happening? Shout out to my dog, Sierra. Just I just saw him in the comments. <laughs> Plan for what's the 49ers. Shout out to my dog. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's so interesting. How, what's it been like broadcasting in empty arenas? <laughs> I just did it for the first time last yeah. week. That shit was crazy. Wow. Like, like I, the craziest part for me is like timeouts, um, dead balls, um, when guys were shooting free throws. And the gym is just completely quiet, but I yeah. still have to keep broadcasting. Yeah. Usually, like, you've got the crowd noise that will drown out anybody being able to hear what I'm saying in the headset. Uh -huh. But now you can hear a pin drop. So it's literally just me talking from the suite that I'm in as I'm broadcasting. Wow. And the players can hear me. The coaches can hear me. Everybody can hear me. Wow. That whatever officials are allowed in the gyms can hear me or are allowed in the gym can hear me like everybody can hear me so i'm like kind of cognizant of that like yeah i'm like i'm hella loud right now but, <laughs> but so it's been influencing kind of your commentating as well like having that I, no i'm just good i'm i mean I'm, I'm just doing it you know yeah, what i mean yeah. like i can't let it i can't let it affect how i commentate because mm -hmm. at the end of the day 
I got all these people that's watching me on the broadcast, so I can't start whispering. I can't start whispering in the into the headset on the broadcast. Like I still gotta project. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm doing this for a television broadcast. I'm for really sure. not doing it for the people that are here live at the game. So yeah. um, I just gotta push through it. But I'm definitely like conscious of it, and I'm just kind of looking around and talking like, damn, every you got players looking up from the bench because they can hear me. Like, yeah. It's crazy, you know what I'm saying? So that's been the the weirdest part of it is, like, the gym is completely quiet wow. with no fans there, and you just can hear me projecting into this broadcast throughout the entire pavilion. That's <laughs> it's crazy. Insane. Do you think that it's affected the way games have been played? Like, I don't know, like, the NBA, do you think that NBA season would have ended the same way, given crowds or not? Because, like, I remember as an athlete, like, I played a lot off of the energy of the crowd. I know, like, other people do, too. Some people don't. How much yeah. do you think that's influenced certain teams I, and from you seeing it firsthand? I think it influences a lot, bro, from home court advantage. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. for example, me being at Portland State, like, Portland State has – under their last four years, under their, their current coach, they have a really, really good home court record. They don't have the greatest record playing on the road, though. So, um, And I think a lot of it just has to do with the environments that are created, you know, in these stadiums and in these arenas. So uh, I definitely think it has a lot more of an open gym feel. And, and as somebody who's played organized ball all my life, yeah, I know guys who are great in open gym who are not so great in an organized setting. So I definitely think it makes a difference. Um, I don't think as an athlete you make an excuse for that. Like, you still got to go out there and win by any means. But mm -hmm. just as somebody broadcasting and reporting on this stuff and somebody who's played ball all my life and has seen the guys who are, who are good as shit on the blacktop but mm -hmm. not so good when, you know, you got referees with striped shirts on and we're yeah. inside of a gym and – these games matter and they count for something, I definitely think it makes a difference. Yeah, that's cool. You definitely have a, a very interesting perspective that a lot of people haven't haven't been able to go to these games. You can watch it on TV, but, I mean, a lot of people haven't yeah. experienced what it's, what it's like to be there. Yeah, it's crazy, bro. It's crazy. <laughs> it's funny because you think a lot of – it's sad that – something that's really sad is the lower divisions, especially college uh, and, I know, like, younger high school. Like, I know Pacific – so many seasons have been canceled on the lower divisions. Um, they don't get big as, as big of crowds usually too, but uh, right. it's been very unfortunate to see that that kind of happen. I mean, it happened to D one too, like March Madness. A lot of seniors right. not being able to get there last season. Uh, yeah, man, it's unfortunate. Like, yeah, it's unfortunate. Like I always say, like obviously, you know, the physical health is very important during these times um, for these athletes, for just everybody in society, because like we got a deadly virus circulating throughout the world right now. So I definitely think that there's priority and emphasis that we need to put on that. But also it's like the mental health of a lot of these athletes that have like put their entire lives to be able to reach this point of playing college ball or high school ball. Yeah. You know, they, they've played in so many AAU games. They've worked out with all these different trainers. Like they've done so much shit to get to this point and now it's just being stripped away from them. Um, it's quite depressing. And I know that it's mentally taxing for a lot of these athletes. So um, yeah, man, it's cool. I mean, it's, you know, you got to put the physical first cause we want to people see, we want to see people live to fight another day, but at the same yeah. time, like the mental is important in this shit too.
for sure. And it's 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 necessary, but it's just a bummer that it's just like I I think about it, if it would have been my last season and I couldn't have been doing because of the pandemic. You know, you got to prioritize people's health, like you said. But yeah, it's got to be really tough for people to overcome that kind of thing. But hopefully. The great thing about sports is it's always a great lesson in battling through adversity and, and overcoming challenges, just probably in a way that yeah. they never thought that they would have to. Yeah, absolutely. 100%, bro. 100%. Yeah. So um, kind of wrapping up here, what, what, what's, what's, the, what's the next thing? What's the ultimate goal for, for everything that you're doing and kind of where you foresee yourself? Because I love everything you're doing right now. And I know we're at hope. I mean – who knows what's going on with the pandemic right now? If it's going to get better in the next year, or whatnot. But but what do you have your sights on? Uh, for one, continuing to grow the podcast, bro. Like I want to ultimately get to a point where I am making a living completely off my podcast, and my podcast could take care of me. So sure. um, I definitely got a lot of plans in 2021 for that. Um, like I said, hopefully, you know this this virus starts to clear up and. I could sort of just get back into being able to travel and looking into more opportunities that are out there as well. Um, but I'm also solid with where I'm at. I love where I'm at. I'm happy with where I'm at. So, um, you know, just kind of seeing what opportunities presents itself as we continue to navigate through COVID. But I definitely got a lot of big plans for the podcast awesome. in 2021 for sure. <laughs> I'm excited to see it. Well, man, I can't tell you how much of an inspiration you are to me. Yeah, um, you're one of the first person I put on the list when I've been developing this show. It just means the world for you to come on and all the things that you're doing it from sports to politics to entertainment to music. It's just it's inspiring to see you get after it. And I, I, I can't wait to see you grow and grow. And it's an honor to have you on today. And, and, and Yeah, man, I'm today. glad I'm glad to make it, man. I, I know you, you know, you've been bringing on some dope ass guests on here. And, you know, you, you've been doing well with Thank the platform, you. doing crazy numbers. I know I'm not the crazy numbers guy, but I'm but I'm always gamed up. So for sure, uh, you know that's what I love to bring. But I'm proud of you, bro, for real. I, Appreciate I'm proud it. of what you're doing out here. This shit is Thank dope. You. Thank you for the inspiration. Uh, always uh, credit you for that. And, and I think we got big things coming for both of us. It's been amazing to see us both grow and and now be able to have each other on the on the shows and whatnot. It's gonna be so cool. Yeah, like five ten years from now to see what we're doing. So that'll be absolutely. So cool. And this was yeah, a lot I'm of fun, man. I hope you had a good time. It, I think you've, you've given us some insights that the people haven't seen yet and, and some of the most interesting topics that we've t I've talked about thus far. So, Absolutely, man. I, I, like I said, I'm glad I could be here and keep doing what you're doing, man. I'm proud of you, bro. My boy, my biology partner, Devon. Hello. Guys. <laughs> Follow him on Instagram. He's yeah. got the Wake Up and Win podcast. You look up Street Roots, Twitter, everything, you guys. Just navigate through there, man. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Thanks once again. It's good, man. No problem. Have a wonderful night. I'll have you on again soon. You too, brother. Later. Peace. Man, guys, that was great. Thank you for sticking along. Um, it's a little bit different uh, guest than I've usually had, and I wanted to do this because uh, I want to talk to everybody on this thing. Devon Pouncey is a really, really uh, well-versed guy within media, uh, politics, entertainment, and he's always been such an interesting person. He does so many things. He knows a lot of different rappers. He knows a lot of athletes. He commentates sports games. Uh, he does a lot of things that have that I was inspired to do and things that I loved when I was getting up. And uh, this podcast just isn't going to be social media people. It's going to be people that I find interesting. As the great Joe Rogan says, he's going to just talk to who he wants to talk about. So I hope you guys liked it. Uh, it was really, really fun. Um, 
And uh, we got some cool, a lot of cool new guests. I'm going to show you guys the list that I got coming up, a little sneak peek. Um, but yeah, we got, we got a long list of people uh, booked and ready to go. So if you guys didn't like that one, I don't know what's wrong with you. Make sure you guys follow me on here. Follow me on TikTok, Bobby for real on TikTok. I'm almost at 10K. Uh, I've been trying to grow that. It's been kind of fun. And I uh, hope you guys like this little flavor of tonight's episode. You guys have a blessed week. I will see you next weekend. The guests will be revealed sometime. I don't know. I got to say whatever I want. Garrett Wilmon, I love you. Mwah!